0: Alright, here it goes. We talking.
1: It speeds.
0: Yeah, it's rolling. Okay, there it is. I see us. I see my voice popping in.
1: We have speed. Zoom. So I'm going to start saying when we roll his zoom. Zoom. Zoom, <laughs> zoom, zoom. We zoom. <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom. Okay.
0: Take an extra cheat yourself in just a little more. Look at that. Spiderwebs behind us.
1: earrings on but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And again I am just a floating head above my Mm -hmm. laptop.
0: Mm. My spouse the floating head. I married a floating head. That's not good. No, it's weird.
1: Uh, Before we get into it I just want to do a brief content warning because this is a very heavy subject matter with a lot of violence and brutality um, involved. Um, That's fair. uh, so, I mean, we're going to be discussing, you know, obviously false accusations and witch trials and um, with brief mentions of genocide and violence against children, torture, um, conspiracy theories, racism, mm-hmm. uh, anti-Semitism, just really all the highlights. There's there's, no, there's nothing good in here. It's very dark. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, yeah, that is our content for today. Yeah, there won't be quite as many jokes this episode,
0: so just keep that in mind. Yeah,
1: we'll uh, we'll try to try to add levity where we can, but for the most part, it is a very very serious, heartbreaking topic. Yes. Thank you for thinking to put that in there. Me too. But brutal, y'all. Hi, I'm Rena. I'm Peter. And this is Spooky Story Podcast.
0: Not until you see every piece of it out and about that we're satisfied. It's (laughs) gruesome. It's so gruesome.
1: (laughs) Oh, that got brutal. (laughs) We talk about stories and their context and how they affect us. Mm -hmm. We're still experimenting with our format. If you've listened up to this point, I'm sure you've noticed some changes. We are absolutely open to feedback. Tell us what you like, and mm-hmm. what you don't like, and mm-hmm. nicely, please. <laughs> yes, we are a conversation-based podcast, where I tell a story, and then Peter tells a story. Or the other the way end. around. The end, or vice versa.
0: Okay. Yay, we're we're starting.
1: <laughs> okay, we're starting. This is it. We're going.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, do we want to talk about our trip?
1: I would love to talk about our trip.
0: Okay, take it away.
1: Oh, my, I'm doing it.
0: That's a good question. Do you want to?
1: I can. Okay. We can both talk about it. Okay. Okay. Jump in anytime. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we, last weekend, took a spontaneous road trip because we found out that two hours away in Metropolis, Illinois, mm-hmm. is a tiny, tiny lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to see the tiny, tiny lighthouse. Mm -hmm.
0: This was right after recording our Outer Banks episode, so...
1: It seemed appropriate. Yeah. So we drove up there and Mm -hmm. found out Metropolis is also home to a giant Superman statue. Uh Uh-huh. And Um, a
0: regular Lois Lane statue. Yes,
1: a regular tiny Lois Lane statue. (laughs) I won't dig into that, but that feels like it has a lot of layers. There's also a... French fort Mm -hmm. that I know you have a lot of strong feelings about that particular site.
0: Oh, well, not really strong feelings. There's not much there. It's like some Europeans showed up, they dug a little earthen fortification, uh, stayed there for a little bit, and then apparently during the Revolutionary War, some Americans were sent out there to capture the fort because they were worried that the British were camps there and that they were using that outpost to help their Native American allies on the western frontier, and so they sent an expedition out there. The expedition found that the fort had been abandoned for years, and then promptly this expedition was very pleased with themselves, and now they are credited with uh, conquering the entire Ohio Valley when literally all they did was go wander, find an abandoned fort, and find out there was no one there. So, apparently, back in the day, you didn't have to do much to be a conqueror.
1: Just showed up.
0: Yeah, apparently all you had to do is just wander somewhere, find an abandoned place, and be like, I've conquered this. <laughs> it's mine now. Um,
1: <laughs> Let me tell you about how Neil Armstrong conquered the moon.
0: <laughs> the conquest of...
1: <laughs> the conquest of the lunar landscape. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, we drove across a terrifying bridge... Uh, which made me question every decision I had ever made. Oh yeah, to there's, get to that bridge.
0: There's a skinny bridge going from Paducah across the Ohio River, and it's a skinny old metal bridge that we took because they were doing road works on the interstate.
1: And like right before we left, our waitress at Cracker Barrel was like, "Let me tell you about all the people who have died on this bridge." Okay, have a good day. <laughs> 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 uh, so that was, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um. It was scary, and uh, kind of reinforces the idea that humans were not meant to cross large bodies of water, um, and no wonder there's so many terrifying bridge stories in urban legends.
0: Mm-hmm. That was also another interesting, yeah, another, yes, another as bridge, I oddly appropriate.
1: Questioned my just <laughs> every decision that ever led me to that moment to be on top of that bridge. It was horrifying, like. I cannot describe how scary this bridge was, but my whole life flashed before my eyes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was a car that was really close behind us, too. Like, there was a line of us going across the bridge, and this car that was behind me, they were they were right up on me. They they had no fear.
1: It was, like, such a rickety, <laughs> rickety bridge, too. Like, it just it felt like it was going to fall apart. I hated it. I hated all of it. Uh, but we did find the tiny lighthouse, and... It was so tiny. It was thirty feet tall. Mm-hmm. It's called the Hope Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. Then on the way back, um, was it Benton, Kentucky?
0: Uh, yes. Well, just outside of. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was. A, we went um, to an allegedly haunted road slash tunnel. hmm Um, a tiny, tiny little rural road that just no one is on.
0: Mm-hmm. There was like one house on this whole road too.
1: Yeah, it was like way back there in the middle of nowhere. Like part of the road wasn't even on Google Maps.
0: Yeah, yeah, it showed us as being in a field on Google Maps.
1: I think the story was like a car accident and now they'll they'll push you down the road mm-hmm. if you stop your car.
0: Yeah, it was one of those like optical illusion incline places where you Yeah. Yeah, and it like always, rolls back.
1: I'd always heard about those, but I've never actually seen one or been to one. Mm-hmm. So we found this like super creepy tunnel that goes under like a main road bridge.
0: Mm-hmm. It goes under the interstate,
1: yeah. I knew it was really creepy looking. It was like very clearly like graffiti, like people had been there. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole time we were there, we didn't even see any other cars on yeah. the road we were on.
0: Yeah, we traveled on this road for. A little bit, yeah, and we were the only car.
1: Yeah. We we did stop and put the car in neutral to see what happened. Mm-hmm. And it did indeed start rolling backwards. And it rolled backwards a lot faster than I thought it was going to. Yeah,
0: like, surprised me how yeah much of an incline there was on that tunnel. Like, if you look closely, you can see the gradient a little bit. But it didn't look like it was as steep as it was.
1: Yeah, like it. We went way faster than I would have imagined, like just looking at it. Mm -hmm. And it was really unsettling and creepy. So I 100% understand how like ghost stories get started around that because Mm -hmm. it was creepy. And if I didn't already know that, yeah, I would assume that I was being attacked by a ghost. Mm -hmm. But we didn't notice any handprints on our car when we left. So big sad. No. We didn't put any baby powder out though, so we'll try it again one day.
0: <laughs> we didn't draw the babies in with baby powder. <laughs> That's
1: not what it's for. <laughs> We're fingerprinting like the FBI, man.
0: Uh on the way back after being in Benton, uh, Google Maps took us a different way. It instead of going back along the Interstate twenty four back into Nashville, it took us through there's a large recreation area in western Tennessee, and it's wedged in between two lakes formed by the Tennessee and Cumberland Rivers separately. And this was actually my first time going there. Apparently, it's a decently large tourist destination. There's like a fair number of resorts and things. It's, it's called the Land the
1: La- Between the Lakes. Yes, it
0: is. But anyway, you cross over this bridge over the Tennessee River first to be on the stretch of land between these two lakes. And it's dark. There's no buildings around. It's you, and there was a fair number of cars on the road mm-hmm. uh, for being later on at night.
1: Oh, it wasn't even that late. It was like seven. No, yeah, it yeah. wasn't even. Yeah, it was around, time, but yeah, it was pitch black.
0: Yeah and i really wanted to stop and take a look at the stars because i figured this is probably one of the best places i'm going to get to view the stars Maybe. it was decently clear that night
1: we don't we don't get stars at home we live no. too close to the city
0: yeah um, the stars that we see are downtown nashville so
1: those aren't stars <laughs> those, are, those are bachelorette's
0: oh <laughs> not even country music stars <laughs> <laughs>
1: he rock there sometimes, okay?
0: Oh no. <laughs> that one's a fallen angel. Oh. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> Burn.
0: <laughs> and I really wanted to pull off and see the stars. We drove by a couple pull-offs, and then I was like, okay, I don't have that much time left, so I And
1: the one that he <laughs> picks to turn off of is no joke called Devil's Elbow.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's uh it's a dirt road. It's
1: a boat ramp
0: is in bad shape there the, the potholes were deep it had just rained recently so the road was flooded in a few places and I mean we made it through but it was more off-roading than I think the car really wanted to do that night yeah
1: and it was it was like a dirt road going like up to the water but this time we're like separated we're decently away from the road like back in the woods now it's definitely pitch black
0: Yeah, it's absolutely pitch black. It was just seeing trees go by in the headlights. And we finally reach the end of the road where that it just stops at the water. This time it's the Cumberland River
1: with no warning, no
0: warning. No, it just kind of popped up all of a sudden. Luckily, we weren't going that fast (laughs) and you can see the lights from the bridge from the highway off in the distance. I do want to hop out right quick
1: as Peter's getting out to take picture of the water and the bridge. I'm like, no, this is weird. It's dark. I'm going to stay near the car just in case. And as I look around, I see really bright headlights of another car coming down this dirt road behind us, Mm -hmm. which would have effectively blocked us in. Uh Uh-huh. And I kind of assumed maybe they were like park rangers or police or somebody who were, you know, coming to be like, hey, why are you here?
0: I really hoped that they were. I really hoped they were park rangers. They weren't. No, um well we didn't know that at the time. Uh, I hadn't wanted to say that long anyway. It was creepy. Um and so we got back in the car, drove past them. They had just pulled off to a section of road and as we passed them, they pulled out and began following us. It was a large
1: It, it, it was like an like ATV like off-roading thing, but it looked like in rough shape cuz as it was like perpendicular to us as we were going past. I got a good look of it. Look at it, and it, like, like it looked rough. Like, it was black, but, like, the metal had been ripped up on it and stuff, and it had, like, those big, like, off-roading lights on the top of it plus the headlights, which were really bright. They were nice enough to turn the high beams off, though, when we went past.
0: Mm-hmm. But then they pulled out after us and started following us. That was us.
1: super creepy. I don't know what that was about.
0: And luckily it had already been down this road, so I had a rough idea of where the potholes were, so... I drove much faster trying to leave than I had coming in on the road. And they were following us. They were following us for a little while. And then all of a sudden, there was no lights behind us.
1: They turned their lights off in the middle of the woods.
0: And there was no turn off where no. that this happened, where that they would have done this. Uh, so we made it back onto the main highway, started driving again, and we made it a little ways down. And uh, I looked over and was like, did you get a weird feeling that someone's been murdered there?
1: Which he doesn't say, which really took me back because <laughs> like I, I was really startled because I was like, yes, I was in fact scanning the tree lines for a body the whole time.
0: Yeah, this place, like, it just, it put off. As soon as we parked, it was like you're not supposed to be. It was here. so
1: creepy, like it was so unsettling. And then there was like I, I expected that ATV thing to like pull out and chase us down the highway. Like, it was it was weird. Like it was it was like, it was so freaky. Uh huh. But then, so I pulled out my phone because I was curious, and I googled Devil's Elbow to see like maybe if there's a story or something associated with it. Um I didn't get what I thought I was going to get, because I got, like, three articles about at least five people who died on Devil's
0: Elbow. Their bodies were found in the water. Yeah,
1: yeah, like, in in boating accidents, or people who were found off that road, or in the water. Mm -hmm. And then one of them, I didn't find, it was, like, from 2004-2006, and it was unresolved. There were no names associated with it. But they said that they were investigating an abandoned utility vehicle that had been found in the same area. And I'm so upset about it. Mm -hmm. It was so creepy. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's our ghost story Mm -hmm. from our very eventful day that was kind of like a montage in an indie movie. Mm -hmm. And then it took a dark turn at the end on Devil's Elbow.
0: As many of y'all know. Uh, the day of the green jello shot draws near.
1: Happy St. Patrick's Day.
0: Uh-huh. I don't have to explain what that day is. It's... I'm
1: Irish, don't touch me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, just like you got to tell me facts about the number 13, I'm now going to info dump stuff about St. Patrick on you.
1: Excellent, I'm excited.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, And and honor of my irishness yes (laughs) so people know saint patrick as being the patron saint of the green jello shot and also the patron saint of ireland as well which is a green island (laughs) 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 it's where my ancestors came from so um (laughs) so So, St. Patrick lived a very long time ago, and as a result, there are a lot of wild myths kind of around him. Just, I didn't know if uh, you know this, but when he was alive, the Romans were still occupying Britain. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not 100% certain, but a lot of people agree that he was probably born in the year 385.
1: I can't. I can't comprehend right. the, that. So amount of time. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Britain was still under Roman rule. This is back before the Angles and the Saxons. This is long before Vikings. Rome had not yet fallen. Uh, of course, Ireland was still pagan, like that we were talking about in our last episode, and Saint Patrick was one of the. I'm going to say one of the first people to go over there as a Christian missionary. Many legends have popped up around his life uh, that he was captured by Irish pirates and taken as a slave to Ireland. This one might be true. It might also be an embellishment. So he's credited with driving snakes out of Ireland, which is probably not true because they haven't found fossils of snakes from the time before he arrived. Oh, it's
1: not because he can't drive snakes out?
0: No, there probably weren't any there to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) He gets credited with turning the shamrock into like a sacred image, but it was probably already a sacred image by the inhabitants before then so Uh, what did he do what did he do is probably took credit for a lot of the work of an earlier missionary whose name was palladius wait
1: a minute wait this wait
0: yes uh there's a prominent theory that there were actually two patrick's and there was another missionary whose name was palladius palladius fell out of favor with the church because Palladius was the creator of a branch of Christianity called Palladianism. This is going to actually relate into our topic today on witches because Palladianism didn't go over well with the Augustinian school of Christianity. Now in the West today, Protestant, Catholic, follow the teachings of a dude called saint augustine and we'll get more into him later the main problem these two groups had with each other is that palladianism said that original sin did not affect like newborn babies uh like if a newborn baby died without being baptized it wasn't cursed to hell whereas augustinian christians believed that yeah unless you were baptized you were cursed to hell they believed Uh, the augustinian christians believed that original sin had power over all people and it was only through predestination that someone could be saved whereas palladian christians believed that it was possible for someone to lead a theoretically sinless life they placed a much higher emphasis on free will whereas uh, when you think of more extreme versions of augustinian christianity think calvinism where they believe in absolute predestination like it doesn't matter what you want to do what you think what you say if God has chosen you to be saved, you will be saved. If God has chosen you to be damned, you will be damned. And it doesn't really matter what you want.
1: That's stressful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's there's an argument to be made that many of the works of Palladius were attributed to Patrick because Palladius fell out of favor in the church.
1: So he got canceled and, and someone else, like, took his stuff?
0: Yeah, he got canceled. Rude. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture isn't new. Ooh. <laughs> Christians were doing it back when Rome was still a thing.
1: Okay, but quick question. Yes. So if I want all of the brown recluse spiders expelled from East Nashville, who do I call?
0: Well, maybe we can find someone with a similar name. So Patrick's original given name wouldn't have been Patrick. It's a anglicized form of Patricius, which, you know, comes from like the Latin for father figure. Okay, so Lucius his brother. So you should look, maybe maybe there's a missionary running around with like the name like Matrius or something, and you can...
1: Okay.
0: You know, Matriarchus of East Nashville.
1: Okay, Matriarchus, call me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I don't want to tangent too long on Augustine, because I'll get into him a little later when I get into our topic for this week, which...
1: Is witches. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Well, sort of. Witch trials.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, one and the same. Yeah, that's true.
1: I would argue that no one, at least no one in my story is a witch.
0: Okay. I would argue from mine that witches were something that was created by witch trials.
1: Ooh, okay. Um. Let's get into it, because I really don't know that much about which trials that did not take place in North America.
0: Um, I knew a little bit, you know, European history in high school. Uh, but they kind of, because of the time period that they take place in, they take place mostly during the time when Europe was having the wars of religion, I think the 30 years war, they kind of get glossed over because there were other dramatic events happening at the same time, too, that end up taking center stage in the history book.
1: Focus, (laughs) Stealer.
0: So, last episode, I started off talking about the number 13 and how there was a 13th rule apparently missing from the Code of Hammurabi. And interestingly enough, this week, I'm also going to start with the Code of Hammurabi, because it's one of the earliest places that we actually see some kind of reference to something that could be called witchcraft although witchcraft as we understand it of course didn't exist then but it's one of the earliest written records that we have having to do with you know spells and incantations being placed on people so the quote from the code of Hammurabi or the rule is that if a man has put a spell upon another man and it is not yet justified He upon whom the spell is laid shall go to the holy river, into the holy river he shall plunge. If the holy river overcomes him, and he is drowned, the man who put the spell on him shall take possession of his house. If the holy river declares him innocent, and he remains unharmed, the man who laid the spell on him shall be put to death. He that plunged into the river shall take possession of the house of him who laid the spell upon him.
1: Why did you read that, like, the narrator from One Night Werewolf? It's just, like
0: that's all I can do now (laughs) after playing that game.
1: (laughs) Werewolves, put your thumb away. Excellent game. Highly recommend.
0: Hammurabi. Look around. If there are other Hammurabis. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, an interesting early connection placed between... Spells being placed, and trial by water.
1: Ooh, Back water in the again. Bronze Age. Back in the water.
0: Uh-huh, but of course you think of the trial by water use for witches about them floating or drowning. Mm-hmm. So that's, this actually goes all the way back to, yeah, the Bronze Age. Okay. After that, witches do make some small appearances in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. Represent... Oftentimes they were referred to as other names because what is witchcraft exactly? again, wasn't really a firm idea until a few hundred years ago now the King James Version of the Bible translates witches What is more often or should be more often accurately translated? I think as a medium or a spiritist Uh, a medium being You know, someone who can speak to the dead or seek signs or omens and, yeah, prophesy.
1: Someone who automatically drives down devil's elbow and knows that someone died there?
0: (laughs) One of the most famous stories from the Old Testament that includes a witch, and I'm going to use the new international version translation, which refers to this person as a medium, again, because I believe that is a more accurate term for how it was seen at the time. I'll get into why that I think that King James used the word witch so much, because that is important for his politics of his time, Okay. but I don't believe actually really reflects the beliefs of early Iron Age Levant Okay. in any way, shape, or form. So this is from the first book of Samuel. For wider context, of course, I'm sure a lot of listeners will have probably have some history and Christianity is dominant in the West. But for anyone who's not aware, First Samuel uh, primarily concerns the events leading up to uh, King David's ascension to the throne of Israel. So this takes place when Saul, who is King David's predecessor, is fighting the Philistines, and this takes place on the last night he is alive before he goes into battle and is killed. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came up to the camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or the prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, translated witch in King James Version, so I may go and inquire of her. Now, this is a person who's being sought for omens, which is why I believe that medium is a better translation. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off all the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid, what do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. What does he look like? he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Now that's a interesting translation there that I won't tangent on too long, but I, uh, I've seen, I, I prefer some other translation instead of an old man. <clears throat> anyway. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me? Now the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdoms out of your hand and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines."
1: That was an excellent reading. You're in great voice tonight. <laughs>
0: uh, and really, that's about the only narration in the Old Testament that brings up witches as a story. Because, of course, witchcraft and the devil doesn't really play a large part in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible. In fact, Satan only appears like a couple times in it. In fact, when the Septuagint, which was like considered the authoritative translation that many other later translations were based upon, when the Septuagint was written, what I call a medium, what the King James Version calls a witch, was actually called a ventriloquist because the authors did not believe necromancy was a real thing. So they didn't actually think that you could speak to the dead or raise the dead, so they yeah, I've claimed to have a ventriloquist that that these people were just magicians, basically. And okay. our modern-day version of magicians doing, like, tricks, sleight of hand, not, like,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and no, I think that happens again in, like, the, uh, you know, turn of the century, like, seances and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that. They were trying to debunk them for, you know, like, sleight of hand trickery and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's interesting that uh, back in the classical world when the Septuagint was written that... Really, witchcraft wasn't even considered to be a thing. The problem that people had with it was that they thought that these people were con artists, not that they thought that these people actually had magical powers to be afraid of. Because, of course, I'd argue one of the main themes of the Old Testament is that the only entity with any power is God, and that everything else is just a trick sleight of hand. So, So before I move on, I will just list the other places in the Old Testament where witches appear... And again, I'm going to read from the New International Version because I don't believe that which is an appropriate translation for what the original authors' intents were for how these words to be understood in Hebrew. So the first one comes from Exodus twenty-two, uh, eighteen: "Do not allow a sorceress to live." Rude. Yeah. Uh, this is these these are coming from th- these are coming from the Torah, so there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Leviticus 19.26, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Also, do not practice divination or seek omens.
1: Okay, yeah, those, those <laughs> go together.
0: Yeah. Uh, Leviticus 20.27, 20, a man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Oh my goodness. Deuteronomy 18.10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, or engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Okay. And that's it. That is, those are all the mentions in a very long book, All the Mentions of Witchcraft. Okay. So, something that shows up surprisingly little for the amount that, uh, Christians seem worried about the power that, or some branches of Christianity seem to worry about the power that witchcraft has in the world today. Mm-hmm. And most of, most of the Old Testament, the thing that's really being railed against is idolatry, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and worshiping, you know, idols or the Baals or Asherah. So,
1: mm-hmm. but anyway,
0: back back to witchcraft. So the early Christian Church kind of followed this line of thought. They actually didn't recognize witchcraft as being a real thing. Um, They believed that the early Christians should actually have power over demons anyway, so demons were not something to be feared say so think of um the times that the devil appears in the new testament and shows up and is just kind of a punk and jesus shuts him up like he's not a real threat <laughs> he's to, just a punk <laughs> I, I mean he, he shows up and is like i'm gonna test you and Jesus like no whatever and like that's that's it
1: i think that's like the the plot of like those q episodes in star trek <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually yeah <laughs> He's just like the card. Answer my riddles, the card. The card.
0: <laughs> so uh, the Council of, and I'm just gonna list a few early Christian councils, just to kind of show what I believe was the general consensus on witchcraft, either not being real or not being a threat to the Church. Uh, the Council of and someone tell me about how wrong I'm pronouncing this, but the Council of Paderborn, which was in 785 AD, so a little after our friend St. Patrick,
1: hmm.
0: you know, uh, it explicitly outlawed condemning people as witches and condemned to death anyone who burnt a witch. Ooh. The Lombard Code of 643 AD specifically stated... Let nobody presume to kill a foreign-serving maid or female servant as a witch, for it is not possible nor ought be believed by Christian minds.
1: I didn't process that.
0: When they're saying, like, a foreign-serving maid or female servant, I think they're assuming that this is, like, a, that this is probably a pagan. Because okay. Europe wasn't fully Christianized at this point okay. in time. So they're, they're assuming this is probably a pagan who's working in your house, and they're saying, do not accuse this person of witchcraft. Christians ought not believe such things. Okay. okay. Um, this is similar to the Canon Episcopi, which was alleged to be written in 314 AD, but probably was closer to 900 AD.
1: It's a big difference.
0: That, that is a very big difference. Now it's just like, oh, those are things that were a long time ago, but yes, the difference between the alleged date and the date that it probably was written is, you know, longer than the U S was a contrary.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Anyway, either way, still 900 A.D. This is before William the Conqueror invaded England, and you know, the British monarchy. This, is, mm-hmm. this goes back to, you know, this is when Vikings were still roaming around. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Christian church was, could still have potentially been eradicated and replaced by a pagan religion at that time. It wasn't set in stone by any means. But it stated that witchcraft did not exist... And that to teach that it was real was a false teaching. And then the last and latest example I'm going to bring up is from Hungarian history, which I'm not an expert on. But I did find out about this man, King Koloman. Koloman? I would actually love to hear more about this guy. This guy sounds very interesting. Um,
1: well, you should make a note because that's, that's your, heart.
0: Mm-hmm. your half of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but in Decree 57 of his first legislative book, which was published in the year 1100, he banned witch hunting on the grounds that witches do not exist.
1: Okay. So,
0: Fair. yeah, so as you can see, like, for the first thousand years that Christianity existed, witches weren't really a thing. Or... Yeah,
1: it, it seems like a bigger deal to believe in witchcraft at all than it would be to practice it.
0: Yeah, because, and as I understand it at the time, to believe that witches existed or that the devil really had any power was to give too much credit when they believed all the credit should go to, you know, Jesus and God. Okay. Like, they they thought that was it and everything else was just rubbish and nonsense and trickery or ventriloquism, as the Septuagint calls it.
1: So they just did a full hard 180.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the question then is like, well, where did this obsession with witches come from? To, you know, like the 21st century today where people burn Harry Potter books. I guess that's not as so much of thing things it used to be, but.
1: Yeah, I think there was recently a book burning, actually.
0: <laughs> um, but like, you know, so, so where, where did that come from? Actually, but before I go farther, uh, this is where I should loop back into St. Augustine.
1: Oh, for all now, of him,
0: Yeah. Yep. St. Augustine was different from the others because he did have opinions on witchcraft because he actually did believe it was real.
1: I'm St. Augustine, and I'm not like the others.
0: Um, and his teaching actually was new at the time, and it did end up becoming the predominant understanding of religion. Uh, Like I said, he is very focused on predestination, original sin, that basically we all live in a condemned state. Chipper. (laughs) Um, He also... I expect nothing less from St. Augustine, (laughs) the girl next door. (laughs) Uh, He is also... I think it's fair to credit him with the Christian concept of holy war. Which did not really exist before him. You know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. uh, But Augustine said it's okay to eradicate your enemies on behalf of Jesus. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So, but yeah, Augustine, he was different. He was one of the people. There were some voices that thought witches were real. They were just a minority. And Augustine was one of them. And as his understanding became more prominent, yeah, witches kind of evolved along with
1: it. That's kind of horrifying. Actually, it's just really, really horrifying (laughs) that one person would have that much influence reaching all the way to today. Yeah.
0: So the other reason why I also think it's important to bring up St. Augustine, Augustinian doctrine is to understand how that Christian theology has changed over time based on the power that the church had at various times in history so before augustine came along and had his concept of holy war it wouldn't have meant a whole lot because of course the early christian church was small dispersed and you know often persecuted by the romans however by the time augustine came along it was becoming much more powerful and eventually it became the most powerful force in europe and when that happens and it suddenly has the idea of borders that it has to defend and it takes on more of a state role the idea of holy war and needing to justify raising an army suddenly means more than it did at the very beginning and the change of opinion on witchcraft i believe actually follows the same trend. For, I mean, the first thousand years that Christianity existed, the Christian church didn't hold nearly the same power that it held afterwards. In fact, there was always a threat that it could have been wiped out by pagan Germanics or Vikings or later on the rise of Islam as the Muslim conquest of Spain and eventually later on the fall of the eastern roman byzantine empire happened the early christian church had outside threats however once the church had solidified its power in western europe i guess you can say it needed it needed a new enemy to fight uh. something to unify the people behind and that's when really the devil became a much larger force in christian theology and you really have to, I think, link the focus on witchcraft with the focus on the devil himself.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Now, like I said, uh, the figure Satan in the Hebrew Bible shows up a few times. Shows up as, you know, a minor spirit to test Job. Shows up to convince King David to conduct a census of Israel. Other than that, not really a... Not really that much of a threat. People have connected the figure to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, but that was a later connection because of course the original text doesn't say this was Satan. It just says no. this was a serpent.
1: Whoever St. Patrick to cast out that snake. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can tell that a lot of the Christian traditions about who the devil is, what his appearance is, like, what his attributes are, are recent, because a lot of them are based off of later authors like Dante and Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost and the Divine Comedy. Inversely, Dante wrote Divine Comedy, Milton wrote Paradise Lost. Sure. And those two works have way more to do with our understanding of who Satan the devil is than the Bible itself. Uh, So, so really those are from literary works that just kind of became so ingrained in the popular imagination that today that's just accepted as fact, even though it's not, it's not in an original source material at all. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, the, the church felt like it needed a personified, threat to rally against ideologically Mm -hmm. some people point to the inquisition against the cathars which was a breakaway heterodox group that lived in southern france
1: you say so many words that i don't understand when we do this (laughs) and if i asked you what every single one of them were we would sit here all night with you just explaining what a (laughs) heterodox is (laughs)
0: Um, heterodox is the opposite of orthodox. Think heterosexual of two sexes. So heterodox is like inverse. It's it's the opposite of orthodoxy.
1: Define orthodoxy.
0: According to Wikipedia, orthodoxy comes from a Greek word meaning righteous, correct opinion. And it means adherence to correct or acceptable creeds, especially in religion.
1: Okay, so is, is orthodoxy, like, one correct opinion, and heterodoxy, like, two correct opinions?
0: Well, in most religions, there is only one correct opinion, and everything else needs to be squashed, so... I
1: mean... Yes, I'm just trying to understand what <laughs> I mean. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. I'm It seems obvious, but you know what? I'm, I have questions uh, about words. Think, I mean,
0: think heresy. Heterodox opinions usually considered a heresy. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. So I'm confused. Therefore I'm a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying words. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so uh the Cathars, they were a group in France and they followed Who are the Cathars. The, I'm about to explain. Okay. They they followed a Gnostic branch of Christianity. <laughs> Uh, Gnostic comes from the Greek word meaning gnosis. And... I want to explain it, but I also don't want to go on too much of a tangent. Okay, I'm
1: so, that's why I don't ask. That's why I, why um, I don't, I'm so sorry. Hang on, hang that's on. That's why I don't ask.
0: On. I'm like, how can I simply explain it?
1: You don't have to. I can just not... <laughs> <laughs> I can just not ask you what every single word means. All day, every day.
0: I would love to explain the Cathars more in depth because... They do have a fascinating understanding of Christianity. Like I said, they're a Gnostic group. Uh, I don't know how to do it justice in a way that is not going to go on for an entire episode length.
1: Okay, mental note. We'll come back to them.
0: Yes, but they are they are fascinating people, and they're also noteworthy for being the first group that the church launched an inquisition against. Aww. So... They were hiding out in the mountains in southern France, and there was a you know, Inquisition crusade declared against them, and they all died. No, okay. It was yeah. It was also, I think, technically would be also considered a genocide uh. because they were eradicated. Uh, but I would argue that the first group that the Christian Church really targeted were the Jews. Even as one goes back and reads the four canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you notice in the Gospels that were written last, the blame for Jesus' death gets placed on the Jews. And the earlier ones, I mean, it's understood that, yes, Jesus was murdered by the Roman state. However, as beef between the two groups really began to escalate, eventually blame for Jesus's death got placed on the Jews and as a result more than any other group more Jews have been murdered by Christians than anyone else who has gone after them in history for example the first crusade began with a massacre of Jews in the Rhineland before it even set off for the Holy Land the Jews were targeted and because they lived in Europe, because they mostly kept to themselves, uh, because local laws and customs regulated them to jobs that were not considered appropriate for Christians, usually these jobs involved things like money lending and banking, they were oftentimes forced into their own separate parts of cities. Think of where the word ghetto comes from. And over time, a justification was needed for these massacres because it's so one-sided, so unfair, and this myth that would later become one of the cornerstones of witchcraft was created, but it was originally created as a conspiracy theory against the Jews, which was blood libel. And blood libel (sighs) is, and it still exists in the world today as a conspiracy theory, but it's the belief that children get kidnapped and killed as part of satanic human sacrifice rituals. I mean, it exists today, think of QAnon. It's around today. One of the earliest versions, though, that's been recorded comes from back in March 22nd of the year 1144. In the cult of St. William of Norwich in England, uh, this cult has since been suppressed, but this William of Norwich, and this is, uh, this is all around just a sad story, Uh, He was a local boy. He was found dead in the woods outside of town. Uh, Local Jews were accused of murdering the boy as part of a satanic blood ritual. Later on, other accusations of children's death were attributed to the Jews in England, and the persecution that followed eventually ultimately resulted in their wholesale banishment by King Edward in the year 1290. Uh, they wouldn't actually be permitted back into England again until the protectorate under Oliver Cromwell after the English Civil War. It's dark, but it's... We're talking about witch trials. Yeah. And it's I think it's really important to, one, bring up the change of opinion about the power that witches had, and also bring up the anti-Jewish pogroms because they form a common narrative. Uh, And they're not only common in their accusations such as blood libel and denying Jesus is the Messiah, but because simply they exist to redirect anger at mismanagement by powerful people and an incompetent ruling class onto a scapegoated minority. Uh, That's simply the reason that they exist. So now we get into the part of history where witch trials, as we understand them today, uh, become a thing. Mostly, they began taking off during the early modern period. One of the most famous you can think of is Joan of Arc's trial in 1431.
1: You know, I never think of that as a witch trial.
0: Yeah, she was condemned for witchcraft.
1: Huh.
0: I mean, it was obviously a politically motivated execution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So a little later in 1484, Pope Innocent Eighth.
1: Pope Innocent
0: Eighth. Yeah, Pope innocence, there's there a ton of them. A ton of Pope
1: Innocents. Pope Innocent. Yep. You know what? Seems suspicious.
0: <laughs> um, but he issued a papal bull authorizing the correcting, imprisoning, punishing, and chastising of devil worshippers who have slain infants, among other crimes.
1: I was right, suspicious. Mm-hmm.
0: So you, in 1484, this is a little after Joan of Arc's trial, but here's where you really kind of start seeing all the pieces of the puzzle mm-hmm. begin fitting together. But myself and I think many other people would also agree that the real fuel that kickstarted the witch trials was the Protestant Reformation, but more specifically the wars of religion that followed. Uh, why women were now a target of choice has been debated, but in my view there's a very strong argument that during these wars of religion, such a large portion of the male population died in Europe that women's social standing began to increase more rapidly as they became primary inheritors.
1: We can't have that, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm.
0: Just to give an understanding of actually what, just how bad that these wars were. Europe, of course, has a very long, bloody history of horrible wars. But let's consider the Thirty Years' War, for example. It was mostly fought in the Holy Roman Empire, which today corresponds to modern day Germany, from 1618 to 1648. And the range of deaths on this conflict is large. The low end is about four and a half million people died. The high estimate is as many as eight million people may have died. And this is, yeah, this is Europe before the Industrial Revolution, before it had its population boom the sheer number of people that died during, between Protestants and Catholics. And there were other issues as well, you know, issues of succession and, you know, secular governments wanting power over others. But the number of people that died proportion-wise, I mean, it easily compares to the world wars in the 20th century. Yeah, this is a huge range of numbers, but either way you look at it, uh, at a time when the population was much smaller, uh, I mean, this war traumatized an entire generation. Yeah. In many parts of Germany, the population was reduced by over half. Oh my God. Yeah, so think, I mean, think, oh. think Black Death Plague levels of <sighs> mortality. I mean, and imagine yourself, you've lived through that kind of violence and death, but then, you know, that's not the end of it. Afterwards, you know, there's famine, there's poverty, there's, you know, no one left to plow fields. Uh. Um, and... It's just a really unfortunate part of human psychology that if there appears to be a group of people who are on the rise in terrible times, that there's just going to be a backlash against those people. And, you know, it was women at this time.
1: It's shocking.
0: Yeah. So I do want to specifically talk about who these people who were targeted with witchcraft accusations were, but... First, I would like to name and shame a few characters from the witch trials of England in the 17th century. Ooh. hmm
1: We're shaming.
0: <laughs> so first, let's talk about this delightfully horrible Puritan called Matthew Hopkins.
1: He would uh, be named Matt.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of good friends called Matt. Matt, whichever <laughs> one of you is listening to this, you're a cool dude.
1: Um... If you're one of the mats that I know, other than those mats, you suck. (laughs)
0: Oh my. (laughs) Such vitriol against the mats of the world. (laughs) So Matthew Hopkins uh, was a bit of a con man. He claimed to be the Witchfinder General. However, he had no such commission from Parliament. Yeah, that's quite I don't know that's all of that was ridiculous I don't know that, that's that's quite the title to give yourself as it, you roam about the country yeah um, he him and his accomplices roamed about the countryside and charged local governments large fees to find witches there
1: mm-hmm. hmm.
0: yeah, he was a scammer during the English Civil War he wasn't in the job for very long however over 300 convictions and deaths are attributed to him. so Matt! He sucked. He did write a book.
1: Oh, good. You
0: know, as...
1: That's what I was wondering.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, he describing his time in the uh, witch hunting trade.
1: Okay. hmm uh,
0: The methods that he used to get confessions. Uh, things like the swimming test. No. The witch's mark. No. Pricking the skin. I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the swimming test think back to the code of Hammurabi weird and last episode the thing about water and Femininity just weird cultural things. I just I don't know. I don't have an explanation for why they're so deeply ingrained Maybe Joseph Campbell does uh, but anyway this 1647 book the discovery of witches uh, became very influential and was found in the American colonies As early as May of sixteen forty-seven, when Margaret Jones was executed for witchcraft in Massachusetts, the first of seventeen people to be executed in the British colonies of North America from sixteen forty-seven to sixteen sixty-three. So May sixteen forty-seven, Margaret Jones was executed for witchcraft in the Massachusetts Bay Colony.
1: Huh. Is that saying that that's the first? execution
0: yes actually that's what my research says margaret jones um was a resident of charlestown which is currently across the river from downtown boston
1: so we have a little little research discrepancy oh okay uh so i don't go too much into this but spoiler alert for my research i guess um what i found was that the well,
0: actually wait Maybe we don't have to spoil it. I'm not going to go any more into depth right now. Let's just, um, yeah.
1: Okay, I, we'll, I don't, we'll back yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah,
0: we don't have to spoil it. But if it's going to come up in yours, we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll touch base on it again Yeah, then. okay. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I don't want you to have to spoil your research. Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, according to my research, Margaret Jones was the first executor for witchcraft tra- in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1647 uh but that will be drawn into question later all right um yeah enough about Matthew Hopkins though uh the second person by
1: Matt
0: (laughs) second person I want to bring up is uh the man who I would say Matthew Hopkins owed his job to uh good old James I
1: Ooh. okay yeah
0: James I was of course monarch of uh, the United Kingdom of England, Scotland. So he was important from that aspect. However, he was super obsessed with witches. In fact, he wrote a book called Demonology in 1597. It was inspired by a trip that he took to Denmark where that witch hunts had been going on for some time it was you know part of continental Europe there yeah there had been a longer history of witch hunts there as that they were part of some of the wars of religion that were going on at the time he brought this tradition uh, back with him it, it had already existed but he codified it much more being monarch and led to a major persecution of witch is in Scotland under the Witchcraft Act of 1563. Uh, One of the most notable of these uh, murder victims is Agnes Sampson. Interesting person. I actually didn't write a whole bunch of notes about her, but... Think of, say, the Shakespeare play Macbeth. And it was written as a bit of a butt-kissing work for James I. (laughs) Because James I had descent from Scottish kings, and of course Macbeth is about... Uh, Scottish war of succession and at the beginning of it witches make an appearance so that was played one of
1: those witches in high school yeah
0: so that that was uh, was Shakespeare uh, simping for King James
1: ooh okay Um, (laughs) we went there
0: (laughs) but yeah so who exactly did die in these witch trials Um,
1: I'm gonna guess not witches
0: that's a Probably safe guess uh but modern day estimates for about the 300 year period where that european witch hunts mostly happened tend to be between 35,000 and 50,000 people god yeah um there's a strange statistic gets thrown out about uh something like like some like millions of witches it wasn't that high the population of Europe wasn't that high at the time if that many people died like it would have (laughs) Mm -hmm. there wouldn't have been anyone left Um, but yeah either way you look at it 35,000 to 50,000 people over a 300 year period is atrocious Mm -hmm. Um, the majority of the accused came from the lower economic classes every now and then high ranking officials were accused uh, but Typically, uh, it was the widow or the wife of a small farmer or an agricultural laborer. Usually, it was someone who was known for not getting along with their neighbors, which today we would just consider that just to be neurodivergence.
1: Or just an introvert. I don't want to talk to my neighbors either. (laughs) Uh,
0: The ranges for the percentage of women versus men who were accused and executed for witchcraft varies from region to region. Uh, It could have been as high as 80% in some Northeastern European countries, places like Norway, Estonia. Uh, However, in Iceland, for example, uh, the statistic I have is that 92% of the accused were men. Really? Yeah. And that in Moscow, it might have been as many as two thirds of those who were accused were male. At one point in the year sixteen twenty nine, children made up about sixty percent of those accused.
1: Children, sixty percent were children.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that number later declined to about seventy percent during the year. There was later that year there was just a spurt of accusations against children. De-
1: declined to seventy percent.
0: Yeah, declined to seventeen percent. Oh, is, declined. To, okay declined to 17% from 60%, which is still just under 20%, so still just under one in five of people accused of witchcraft in that year at the low point were minors.
1: Oh. Uh, the,
0: the claim that nine million witches were killed in Europe uh, probably comes from a 1791 pamphlet. Yeah, that, that number is not accurate. However, just because that number is not accurate... Doesn't make what happened any better, mm-hmm. and although this practice died out in Europe uh, during later centuries, it continues around the world today. It's often a direct consequence of colonialism, where the Christianity conflicts with local indigenous religion. Uh, modern hotspots to this day where witchcraft is still. People listening to the podcast can't see me using the quotation marks so when I say witchcraft being a thing like it's
1: yeah I mean it's it's witchcraft in this context is such a broad term to basically describe anything not devoutly Christian or anything other
0: mm-hmm. well it I, it is sometimes also levied as an accusation in some Islamic countries too but yeah it's I mean yeah follow something heterodox shall we say from <laughs> earlier uh, but yeah, modern hotspots uh, include India, Nepal, uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, one of the largest areas is in Sub Saharan Africa. Here, the witch hunts have grown aggressive in recent years because you have charismatic Christian preachers who can reach a larger audience due to urbanization. This is something that's developed since colonialism, essentially. Mm. And I'm not the right person to really talk about this issue because this is a problem that resulted from something that my culture imposed on the African continent. I'm not there. I don't really understand it. All I can say is that it is happening and people are hurting.
1: I didn't know that this was happening right now. I didn't know this was happening in a modern context like this. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it still happens to this day. of course, today in the United States, uh, going to trial for witchcraft is extremely unlikely. Uh, but well. the, <laughs> the, the phrase has been appropriated by some powerful politicians, and usually it's in regards to when they're being held accountable for their actions. They'll say, this is a witch hunt against me.
1: And why is that always men?
0: Yeah. This likely stems from McCarthyism and his hunt for communists during the Red Scare, Uh, And it's probably because at the time, uh, the famous playwright Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible, which was about the Salem Witch Trials, which was an allegory for what was going on in Congress at the time. Ever since then, it's been used in a political context by politicians. But I would say that, unfortunately, the possibility of witch hunts reemerging is never really too far off. And there are certain warning signs before these things happen, and it usually has to do with demographic shifts. Usually it has to do with previous minority groups suddenly gaining economic and political power, and that's happened in America Uh, in the last few decades. Women and minority have gained far more political and social and economic power than they had before, and there has been a backlash And when you look at, like, the early roots of the narrative about witches and the anti-Semitic narratives they came from, things like blood libel, you still see those popping up in online conspiracy theories. And usually they're levied against powerful women uh, who are seen as somehow a threat. There is a term that gets used to try to describe why these things happen. Uh, It's called mass psychosis. Uh, Some people know this is mass hysteria. However, using the word mass hysteria to describe witch hunts just doesn't sit quite right with me. Uh, It's... And it has been levied in recent times, oddly enough, by conspiracy theorists against the mainstream. However... I understand the explanation that using mass psychosis to explain past witch hunts. However, I think that also takes away blame from the people responsible and these things don't pop out of nowhere. You know, someone is sitting as judge over these trials. Somebody gave authority for witch hunts to happen. It wasn't just... The public didn't just randomly decide that they wanted to do this somebody gave a direction from somewhere so i think using the term mass psychosis gives an out that uh that some people like uh say good old king james should not have
1: history is straight up into like very important and divisive scary issues of today and sometimes it's uh
0: yeah I'm realizing scary. the more that the more episodes that we get into this that when I'm talking about a historical thing really the most important thing that I find I'm talking about is how that certain things keep popping up over and over again in like like a cyclical nature of history
1: it's a little bit terrifying. Well, speaking of the judges behind all this nonsense, mm-hmm. do you want to talk specifically about one? Sure. So today, for the, the haunted part of the show, uh, you've probably guessed it, I will be going to Salem, Massachusetts. And specifically I'm going to be discussing the Jonathan Corwin House.
0: Ooh. I have no idea what this is. I'll
1: also be giving kind of an abridged history of the Salem Witch trials. Um, it is a extremely complicated and long uh, event. Okay. With a lot of characters. Um, apparently
0: we have a discrepancy to clean up too. That yes. we uh, <laughs> We do we have a, we
1: have a little discrepancy that I don't fully understand yet, but we're gonna uh-huh. you're gonna we're gonna figure it out, and you're gonna hear it live, <laughs> sort of live. <laughs> you're gonna hear it candidly, not live. <laughs> this isn't live. Um, I quickly wanted to shout out a couple podcasts that I used in my sources. Uh, one is That Spooky Life, uh, specifically episode fifty five. And History Goes Bump, episode 143, where they interviewed um, Amanda Prouty, who's a tour guide at the Jonathan Corwin House, as well as the Places Will Go podcast. Uh, Please check all of them out. They are um, excellent if you want more information, and they are just all great content creators. (sighs) Here we go.
0: (laughs) Buckle up. That was a buckle up sigh. (laughs) That's
1: how I feel about it. Okay. Uh,
0: We've been a little more jokey the last few episodes. But this, this one's heavy. This is, yeah, this is a serious episode. There's not, there wasn't really anything in my research to make a joke about.
1: No, and that's fine. Some things are, there's, there's a time and place for jokes.
0: Yeah. And, this yeah, isn't this, one of them. Yeah.
1: The Jonathan Corwin house is also known as the witch house. And it is the last structure still standing that had direct ties to the Salem witch trials. It's estimated that the house was built between 1620 and 1642 but we do not have an exact date.
0: That's a, actually for a house, that's quite a wide range in when it could have been built. It's 20 yep. years. <laughs> yep, okay. but there, there it is. Okay, all right. For something that seems like relatively, compared to what we've been talking about this whole episode, like relatively recent history, that just seems yeah, like we quite don't know. a variable date range. We don't know
1: when they put that house there.
0: <laughs> I think earlier we were talking about stuff that was like, yeah, thousands of years old. and
1: Well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> The property was bought by 35-year-old Jonathan Corwin in 1675, the same year that he married Elizabeth Gibbs. Corwin was born to a wealthy shipbuilder and took up the family business, and according to thewitchhouse.org, was the heir to the family fortune, which was one of the largest Puritan fortunes in New England. Before she was widowed, prior to her marriage to Jonathan Corwin, Elizabeth Gibbs had four children with Robert Gibbs. And she gave birth to ten more children after marrying Jonathan Corwin. Wow! Someone get that woman a glass of wine. Oof! According to Judith Marshall, a tour guide at the Witch House, ten of her children died in the house, and only four survived to adulthood. Um. Oh. Ooh. There was a pretty high infant mortality rate. Yeah. At the time, but yeah. Still, like.
0: Yeah, that's that's hard doing the math in my head right quick, that's over a 60% mortality rate.
1: Yeah, and those numbers do vary a little bit just depending on the source. Um, I saw two tour guides give, not personally, but in interviews I saw two tour guides give different numbers where um, someone said she had a total of 10 children and six died and four survived to adulthood, but then this other source said she had a total of 14, four from the previous marriage, so somewhere... I guess somewhere between 10 and 14 children total, with four surviving to adulthood. Sorry, I try to give all the sources when I see a discrepancy. Yeah. I don't want to present anything as fact when I, in fact, do not know. Um, despite its name, no one who lived in the witch house was accused of witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. Oh, Okay. Jonathan Corwin served as a judge during the witch trials and was a member of the court that sentenced 19 people to be hanged between 1692 and 1693. Uh, okay. There's the connection. Um, here's where our little discrepancy is going to take place. The infamous Salem witch trials occurred 30 years after the end of the first recorded witch trials in New England, which is the Connecticut witch trials, which lasted from 1647 to 1663.
0: Okay, yeah, and that's, that's the same date range that mine was showing up with this, uh, with this Margaret Jones that she died in 1648.
1: Yeah, so what I have is the first person executed in the Connecticut witch, witch trials was Alice Young, and she was executed May 26th, 1647.
0: Well, I mean, can't argue with the numbers. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah so I don't, 1647 versus 1648.
1: Yeah. I don't know what the discrepancy in the sources is, but um, maybe
0: I guess my source was just referencing Massachusetts Bay Colony. And yeah. Therefore. Yeah. OK. OK. Uh,
1: so that's that's important context. It uh, it kind of shows you the climate and the history
0: yeah, still. And
1: the predisposition to witch trials existing in the area.
0: Yeah, still being one year apart, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh,
1: at this time, witch trials had been occurring for hundreds of years in Europe, but they were winding down as the New England witch trials were just getting started. But calling back to, you know, the, the history of witch trials across Europe that you just gave us, as well as our discussion in episode, all the way back in episode two. When we talked about
0: mm, um, New
1: England. New England. Yeah. And about the Puritans and how they saw the devil in literally everything. Mm-hmm. The devil was constantly out to get them.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, like Augustinian Christianity, yeah, Puritanism, I would argue, was like an extreme form of Augustinian Christianity mm-hmm. because, yeah, they definitely believed in predestination.
1: Puritans were just doing too much. In January 1692, Reverend Samuel Parris' nine-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, and his 11-year-old niece, Abigail Williams, started behaving strangely. John Hale, a Puritan pastor from Beverly, Massachusetts, said that the episodes were, quote, beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect, end quote. 11-year-old Anne Putnam began to display the same symptoms shortly afterward. By the end of February, Reverend Paris and Judge John Hathorne were convinced that they had been bewitched. When they asked these children who had done this to them, the girls accused an enslaved woman.
0: I do not know that part of the story.
1: I didn't either.
0: I didn't know that part of the story, and in the whole Puritans episode back in, well, it was New England, but I was talking about the Puritans back in episode two, and I had a bit of a soapbox at the end about it being a narrative about a okay. okay. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. I feel like uh,
0: that got conveniently left out.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard this story a lot and I didn't know about this person and I certainly didn't know them like in detail. Nope. That's not how the crucible goes. Her name was Tichiba. I I wanna make sure that all my wording is appropriate and respectful so if i um get something wrong um i am i am definitely open to to correcting it and hearing about it but this is uh, i mean i'm gonna do this as respectfully as possible Tichiba had been purchased by reverend samuel paris in barbados before he was a minister and he brought her with him to the massachusetts bay colony in 1680. historians believe that she was originally from an indigenous community native to south america and others believe that she was originally from somewhere in Africa. But unfortunately, her enslavers have successfully erased her history prior to 1680. That means that nine-year-old Elizabeth Paris is accusing a woman who's lived with her and taken care of her her entire life of the second worst crime that you can commit in the Puritan religion. Witchcraft is second next... <clears throat> Witchcraft is second only to idolatry. Murder is number four. That's number three. I want to say heresy. Hang on. That would make sense. That would make sense. Uh, How do I Google this? Puritan Code of Ethics. Poisoning's in there somewhere in the top five.
0: Apparently sleeping in the church was a sin to Puritans. According to uh, this uh, article from More Public Schools listed as a guide to Puritan life.
1: What if your, your Bible school has a sleepover?
0: Mm -mm -mm. I don't know I'm just I'm just getting stuff about Puritans outlawing Easter and Christmas and condemning the sexualization of the theater for depravity and prostitution and
1: Um,
0: sound like a fun group
1: my source on that is um, BuzzFeed Unsolved's episode on the Salem Witch Trials Uh. Uh, so I highly recommend that that is definitely worth the watch so, some people speculate that Tichiba had shown Elizabeth and Abigail, um, you know, quote-unquote spells or rituals from her culture, or maybe something she had learned while she was in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we don't know the specific details. We don't know if that happened. We don't know if that's, like, retroactive speculation. Uh-huh. Uh, Tichiba did, init- <clears throat> did initially uh, deny the use of witchcraft and any attempt to hurt the children. But after repeated interrogations and most likely beatings, Tichipa confessed that the devil had come to her as a tall man with white hair and a dark coat, and forced her to serve him. Uh, Judge Hathorne asked her in what other ways the devil appeared to her. So these are, you know, pretty leading questions mm-hmm. that they're asking of, again, a person who is just not equal to them. Like, they've they've made it clear to her that like, this is a coerced confession. Yeah. Like, it's, it's inarguable. Yeah. As I hadn't heard of her and hadn't heard the full story of this, I looked more into her. And I noticed a very similar tone when it comes to uh, speaking about Tituba and her role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets, she gets blamed a lot for, like, the whole of the Salem Witch Trials and everything that happened after this
0: so not the uh you know you can't really blame the children either because the children shouldn't be given authority to make these accusations to begin with but like
1: yeah like there's it's there's adults there's yeah reverends and judges and people who are supposed to be these devout men of god yeah carrying this on yeah. and i found uh for example, of the tone that I'm speaking of, I uh, found an article uh, that's actually from the Smithsonian Magazine, written in 2015, um, that kind of gives you an idea of how people tell this story and how, how people talk about Tituba. Uh Quote, here, Tichiba made clear that she must have been the life of the corn-pounding, pea-shelling Paris kitchen. She submitted a vivid, lurid, and harebrained report. More than anyone else, she propelled America's infamous witch hunt forward, supplying its imagery and determining its shape. She had seen a hog, a great black dog, a red cat, a black cat, a yellow bird, and a hairy creature that walked on two legs. Another animal had turned up, too. She did not know what it was called and found it difficult to describe, but it had wings and two legs and a head like a woman. Um. Mm. So the second part of that is... Uh, cooperated by other sources, uh, she did just start talking, and she told them, it sounds like she just told them what they wanted to hear. They, yep. they like, I they really... wanted a story, so she gave it to them, mm-hmm. and I would argue that she did it to save her own life, and of course she did. What yeah. else would she do?
0: And, I'm not her, uh, so I have no idea what the motivations are, but these people took her from her home to somewhere that she didn't know have denied her freedom and human dignity i would actually go as far as to say that she actually doesn't even owe these people the truth
1: that's yeah and they didn't even want the truth yeah just it's it's incredibly sad um and then it's sad how how she's been remembered or not remembered after this that
0: um, even goes a little farther than um, what I was saying in the last episode about the witch trials exemplifying like the suffering of white women above indigenous and enslaved women in the American colonies to where this story actually now has blamed the suffering of white women yeah. on an enslaved woman, it's, this, which is a, an incredible... Uh, That's an incredible take.
1: Yeah, it it adds an incredibly sobering layer that I think it might be hard to digest for a lot of people, and maybe that's why it's gotten left out or told the way that it has, but yeah, it just, it's... Wow. I think it's important to talk about. I think it's important to discuss in the context of this story, if we're going to try to understand what happened as incredibly complicated as it was is an important part of it, yeah. and I don't think you can talk about it without yeah. recognizing her. It does a disservice to the people involved to ignore her. Yeah, it does a disservice to the truth. In her confession, Tichipa implicated Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne, after the three children had named them as well, saying that she had seen their names in the devil's book. Tituba was imprisoned on March 7th, 1692. She was not sentenced to death, but she remained in prison for over a year because Reverend Samuel Parris refused to pay her jail fees. In 1693, she was purchased by an unknown man for the cost of the fees. And we don't know what happened to her after that. So she did manage to escape the witch trials with her life. We have
0: no idea what happened after I that mean, she was purchased.
1: No, but the the witch trials did end in 1693, so yeah, technically. But no, we don't, we don't know what.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. This is such a pervasive part of American culture. This gets told over and over and over again. How does this part get left out? Like I'm embarrassed that I didn't know it. I'm glad I know it now, but I'm angry that people cherry picked the parts of history. To fit like what they wanted to say.
0: Essentially, really, that's what the history textbooks are. They're just really history. There's just a bunch of events that happen, and what historical narratives do. I mean, they just it's like looking at the stars in the sky and seeing constellations. You just pick out points and say these points are connected by lines. And think about this. What my research did. I just picked dates throughout history, and tried to make a narrative with it.
1: So, sometimes Tichipa does get blamed for everything that happens next, um, but there's no way that she could have predicted this, and again, nor does she owe it to anyone. Mm-hmm. I, she did, there's no way she had malicious intent. Mm-hmm. So, she and these three children had implicated Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. Sarah Good was an impoverished woman who did not attend church because she could not afford the right clothing. And Sarah Osborne was an older woman with a chronic illness that kept her from attending church. She was also in a legal battle with the Putnam family over land. And if you'll remember the third girl to claim that she had been bewitched was Anne Putnam. Huh. Neither Good nor Osborne confessed to witchcraft, but they were jailed anyway. After this, accusations ran wild. Prior to 1692, Salem was already full of drama. Mm. There were land disputes, arguments over property lines and grazing rights, and of course, religious disputes. There was also a polarizing disagreement between the Porter family and the Putnam family that the entire town had an opinion on. Apparently, people would like break out into arguments in the streets. Wow, like... Wow. Like, I guess hobby. if someone is gonna, like, argue about, like, Britney Spears versus Avril Lavigne, that's not even a big rivalry. What am I talking about? <laughs> that's not a rivalry at all.
0: <laughs> West versus Davidson. Who? I said West versus Davidson. I heard you. I don't know what you mean. Like, you were talking about, like, I was just mentioning celebrities that have beef with each other right now. Versus... Davidson.
1: Oh, Pete Davidson!
0: Yeah. Oh! Yeah, West versus Davidson.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> I was thinking of...
1: I thought you were talking about like a sports team for some reason.
0: <laughs> I would tell these people in this town to get a hobby instead of busybody in everyone else's life, but I'm pretty sure the Puritans thought that hobbies were like a sin or something, so...
1: Yeah, they were allowed to pray. That's all. <laughs> um, this was also only 13 years after the King Philip's War, which was a devastating and bloody war in which the colonists effectively stole the rest of indigenous land in the area and massacred large amounts of the population. So all of these factors, as well as the harsh weather and isolation probably contributed to the, quote, mass hysteria that followed the initial accusations. At first, only women on the fringes of society were being accused, but soon people like Martha Corey, a regular and devout churchgoer was being accused. Between February 1692 and May 1693, around 200 people from Salem and surrounding areas had been accused of witchcraft. By June 10th, 1962, the first execution for witchcraft occurred. Bridget Bishop was sentenced to hang after her trial in which she was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle, wearing odd clothing, having a third nipple, and acquiring only enough lace to outfit a poppet. One of the judges, Nathaniel Saltonstall, resigned from the court two days after her execution. Jonathan Corwin took his place on the court. There he is. Judge Jonathan Corwin was heavily involved in the interrogations and trials, and his signature is on several of the arrest warrants. Um, According to some sources, he was a part of the initial interrogations all the way back in the beginning of the year with... Tichiba and Bridget, and when the three girls were initially mm-hmm. talking about their symptoms, because according to some sources, he was like BFFs with Judge Hathorn.
0: Safe to say, he wasn't in a land dispute with Hathorn. You're saying he was friends with Hathorn. It doesn't, like, it doesn't yeah. sound like he was in a dispute with him.
1: It doesn't see. I wonder what their opinions on the Putnams versus the Porters were. Mm. If that is a motivation, then probably in line with the Putnams orders all got accused of witchcraft, which is convenient if you're in land dispute. Ultimately, Judge Jonathan Corwin served on a court that imprisoned 200 people and sentenced 14 women and 5 men to be executed, while well, between 5 and 13 of the accused died while in jail. One of the people accused was a 4-year-old girl, and she was Sarah Good's daughter. They accused a 4-year-old of witchcraft. I'm nervous laughing, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's crazy too because like, in all these cases, like these witchcraft cases, blood libel cases against the Jews, conspiracy theorists today, they always claim to be protecting the children. Yeah, like this whole thing started out with protecting these three children supposedly from Tituba. Like, like these things always start out claiming that they're protecting the children, but
1: yeah, it ended up ruining the life of a child that's even younger than yeah these three ultimately at the end i think it was 5 preteen pre-teen girls who were alleging allegations by the end of the uh, trials mm-hmm. there's no doubt that this event left a huge imprint on not only salem but the ripple effect is still felt today in modern culture so it's no surprise that salem massachusetts is sometimes considered one of the most haunted towns in the u.s and the witch house, being the last building that has a direct link to the Salem witch trials, is often called the most haunted house in Salem. Hmm. Visitors and tour guides report ghostly and unexplained encounters about the house. So some believe that Corwin imprisoned and tortured the accused witches in the basement of his own home.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, this likely didn't happen. Uh, this is a rumor that was pretty pervasive for a long time, uh-huh. even to today. Um, there's no evidence to suggest that anyone was imprisoned in the Corwin house, according to Torque I Demanda prouty. But this rumor is pervasive enough that people still ask to see the basement when they visit. Mm. And, of course, that leads many people to believe that the house is haunted by the accused witches.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, that's not to say that the accused weren't tortured, coerced, and imprisoned in unimaginable and inhumane conditions. It just did not occur at Judge Corwin house mm-hmm. uh, for example i think we've all been traumatized by the story of the man who was pressed to death during the trials mm-hmm. uh, giles corey was 81 when his wife martha was accused of being a witch after she doubted the testimony of the three children who had accused tituba sarah good and sarah osborne how dare she <laughs> at first giles corey backed the claims that his wife was a witch oh <laughs> He was like, yeah, that seems right. That's fine. (laughs) Until he was also accused and arrested on April 18th, 1692, on the same day as Bridget Bishop. When asked to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty, he refused. He just completely refused to enter a plea, so he didn't have to go to trial. So Sheriff George Corwin was allowed to torture Giles until he entered a plea. I looked to see if George Corwin and Jonathan Corwin were related. Uh-huh. I still don't know. So if anyone knows, please tell me.
0: Well, the same last name, and yeah, they're, everyone was just a couple generations back from uh, the first people getting off the boat back then. Yeah, like, like, were they
1: cousins? Like, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, everyone, everyone was... Why yeah. does
1: everyone have the same name? Everyone's an Elizabeth and Mary or a Sarah or a Corwin. What's going on? <sighs> <laughs> giles corey was laid on the ground with a board placed over him and stones were placed on the board to incrementally increase the weight and slowly crush him this torture took place over the course of three days each time george corwin asked him to enter a plea corey responded with more weight george corwin successfully pressed him to death on the third day september 19 1662 According to some, his last words were more weight, but some say that he cursed George Corwin and Salem with his dying breath. His wife, Martha, was hanged three days later. George Corwin died of a heart attack on April 12th, 1696, at the age of 30, giving credit to the curse of Giles Corey. Every sheriff to hold the position after George Corwin have suffered some sort of heart or blood condition. Hmm. Uh, that part's true. Huh. So, that's super creepy. Huh. Also, April 12th is my birthday. <laughs> and I'm turning 30 this April 12th. <laughs> so, I'm really alarmed by this. I don't know why. It's crazy. Please don't come for me. <laughs> Please don't come for me, curse. But you're not a sheriff. I'm Ma- not a sheriff and I've <laughs> never been to Massachusetts. <laughs> I can barely even say Massachusetts. What's this guy's name? Giles? Giles Gorey. I'm sure Giles being a last name.
0: never yeah. heard it being a first name. Hmm.
1: Um, he is, he's a pretty popular ghost around Salem. Uh, so I think sometimes you see him in the cemetery and you see him hanging around some of the buildings and apparently uh, he is a bit like the gray man of the outer banks because he shows up before disasters uh, huh, most notably probably... in 1914, before I... I... wonder if that picked up
0: on the audio.
1: What was that?
0: I mean, that was a cat, but... Are you sure? Cause... <laughs> <laughs> there was a cat, but there was like a really loud thud after it. Oh my
1: god, that scared me so bad.
0: Wow. That was horrifying. Wow. I wonder if the mic picked that up. Ugh. guess I'll find out when I edit it.
1: My, oh my
0: god. The mic didn't pick that up. There was a the closest thing I could think of sounded like a cat. It didn't quite sound like a cat. It sounded though.
1: like a pterodactyl.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was more of like a call really than a rowl.
1: It sounded like it was in the room with us. It sounded like it was, it was loud right
0: outside the window, and we're on a second story. And That's like,
1: terrifying. Was, yeah. I'm, I'm not okay. My heart just skipped all the beats. I'm so sorry. Right. We we're just talking about heart attacks. <laughs>
0: We were just talking about <gasps> Giles being a harbinger, and then something recently happened. And you were about to say what recently happened, and there was a some kind of a scream outside.
1: Okay. No, it wasn't recent. It was in nineteen fourteen. Oh. He, um, uh, they saw his apparition before a fire. Uh, um, okay. So it has it was over a hundred years ago, but uh, yeah, so he is uh, one of the more common. Ghostly sightings in Salem. Okay. But what I thought was interesting is him cursing Salem because, if you'll remember, everyone in this story is a devout Puritan, mm-hmm. and the you know the second worst thing you can do is practice witchcraft. Mm-hmm. What is Salem known for now?
0: Mm, witches, yeah.
1: So it is by this very act become the thing that they hated the most that they most feared and hated enough to kill all these people. B- by Puritan standards, it's cursed. They did it.
0: Yeah. That makes me think of uh <laughs> makes me think of vengeance as mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> these innocent people got murdered and.
1: Like it just, the only thing that these people are known for now like, the villains of these stories, Hathorne and Corwin and some dude named Cotton Mathers, like, they're they're all the villains in this.
0: You had, think about the author Hawthorne, who was descended from Hathorne and decided mm-hmm. to change his name. Yeah, which, you know, everyone who took English class in the U.S. knows that, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I didn't cover this? So that's a good <laughs> reminder. Um, but yeah, now it's become a huge tourist hotspot. It is... Known for the witch trials, everything in that town is witch-related. It's like films happened there, like *Hocus Pocus* and *Halloween mm-hmm. Town*, like regarding witchcraft.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Giles, you did it. You cursed it. Congratulations, <laughs> you did it. I just think it's beautifully ironic how that worked out. I love it. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go.
0: There, there's, like, some interesting karma about, like, yeah, like, becoming the thing that you feared the most. Mm-hmm. And, like, for as, like, devoutly religious these people were, like, it seems like they feared the devil more than they feared their own god. And now the devil is, like, yeah, the, the thing that everyone thinks of in that yeah. town. The quote-unquote
1: devil is is a part, like, for That's, for, that's yeah, the reason for... their town is remembered. It's, like, it's been a fantastic, <laughs> like... For the tourist industry yeah,
0: and it's ironic too like the name of yeah salem means peace and it's like mm-hmm. ironic that,
1: yeah, It's wow yep and judge jonathan corwin's home itself is known as the witch house the corwin family remained in the witch house until the mid-1800s and after they moved out it became an apothecary which is another mm. fun little bit of irony
0: huh what were they, what were they making there what, did they, what, you know, what were apothics doing back then? I guess they were like early pharmacists. Huh, all okay. right.
1: Um, by the mid-1900s, it was set to be demolished in order to widen the road.
0: That is so American. That is the most American piece of history right there.
1: But the citizens of Salem raised enough money to move the entire house back 35 feet. And today it's staged in 17th century furnishings and open to tours where you can see artifacts of the time, including a shoe placed in the foundation of the house to ward off witches. <laughs> 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 Insert that one uh, shot from that episode of Ghost Adventures where Zach Beggins is wandering around the streets of Salem, asking everyone if they're a witch.
0: Mm. Uh, in regards to that shoe... I guess whoever built that house didn't put their best foot forward.
1: Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Some visitors to the house report a heaviness or feeling of discomfort in the building, and some experience vertigo or even fainting. Tour guide Amanda Prouty says that she's had at least three visitors faint on tours.
0: Give them a glass of water, (laughs) Let them sit down for a second. Don't make them stand that long. Tell them not to lock their knees.
1: We're talking about ghosts right now. Okay, calm down. <laughs> I
0: thought we were talking about fainting.
1: <laughs> also, people see the spirits of children in the house. They'll just be in the house, and a little kid will run by or like peek at its head out at you or something. That's creepy. Yeah.
0: Do they um, giggle?
1: I don't. I don't know what they do. Okay. Um. Start seeing giggling children. Is more scary. Actually, no, it's
0: all scary. If they were crying, it'd be scary too. Sorry, my <laughs> um, mind wandered.
1: <laughs> so, when I read this in a couple places, it um, claimed that the the five year old who was accused of witchcraft mm-hmm. is haunting this house, but Prouty thinks that if if someone's haunting the house, it'd be more likely one of these ten children who died in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because again, there's been a lot of people just assuming that the the witches are in that house because of the basement rumors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Also,
0: yeah, yeah. Before and after the witch trials, death was everywhere mm-hmm. back then.
1: And I don't really know if ghosts have to stay in one spot or really how it works. I'm not going to pretend I understand any of that, but I will defer to the people who actually work in the witch house i feel like they're more of authority on who they go to work with every day
0: yeah i'll give that to them yeah
1: um they do seem very dedicated to you know they don't mind ghost stories but they'd rather it have like historical accuracy and not it being like sensationalized because everyone wants to claim that the the witches quote unquote are haunting the basement and stuff and it seems like they feel like that's not accurate I don't know who's haunting whatever, so, but I will defer to them because they are very knowledgeable. Um, on the podcast that spooky life, uh, the host, too sensitive to spirits, details her experiences in the house. She says it felt crowded, but not from an intelligent haunting. She said it was like um, residual, like she was seeing echoes of the past, like people were trying to like brush by her and stuff. As she would think there was someone with her, and it felt very crowded. Mm and then no one was there. Mm. Um, Again, on episode 55 of her podcast, she gives a um, very detailed um, account of her visit, and I highly recommend that. It was very interesting. Mm. I don't know if this is related or not. It was just really creepy. So when I was researching this, I was watching a bunch of videos on it and um, playing, like, I had these podcasts playing and stuff, and there was one that um, I, I listened to the whole thing. Okay. And then... I went back and watched it again for specific details. Okay. And then our Google Assistant device triggered the second time mm. and just started detailing ways in which it could help me and just like would not stop talking. <laughs> but it didn't trigger the first time I watched that and they didn't like use the keywords. Huh. So it creeped me out because I was home alone. Huh. It was pretty weird huh what was it what part was it not a fan it was that my second listen through on the history goes bump podcast okay um i don't know i can't remember specifically what part but Hmm. it was the second time i had listened to it during my research and it was pretty creepy i didn't like it (laughs) Hmm. that's not to say don't go listen to that episode because it's great um they're excellent and um
0: Just unplug your Google Home first. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, there you go.
1: There you go. Um, And then Amanda Proudy. I'm not going to say everything that she said here, because please go listen to their podcast. But um, she, you know, details all of her experiences, talks about the history and the house, and she gives, uh, you know, a history of the Puritans, and and then she talks about, like, some of her own other creepy, like, personal experiences in Salem Mm. um, that are not related to the witch house, so... Highly recommend. Go check them out. Hmm. In an interview with another tour guide, Judith Marshall told WCVB that she had seen bed warmers circling on their own with no one around. So they're like those essentially like covered pans and they are hanging from the fireplaces.
0: Yeah, they used to like put them in like between the sheets. Yeah, right? like, exactly. Okay. Put
1: coals on and put them between the seat. But, like, as part of the set, like dressing in the house, they're hanging by a fireplace. Okay. So it sounds like she was there alone. And they started just circling with no one around, which startled her. Yeah,
0: I, I would be startled too if I saw inanimate an objects moving about on their own. No, especially it's not, if they it's were fun. Yeah, because the bed warmers I've seen. Are heavy. Yeah, they seem really heavy, yeah. Uh, cast iron, like, usually.
1: Doesn't your mom have one in her house? Oh, that's true.
0: And hers is like, uh... Is it bronze?
1: Yeah, yes, it's pretty heavy.
0: Yeah, it's still heavy, but yeah.
1: Doors will also open and close by themselves. And one time, all of the pictures fell off the wall at the same time while one of the tour guides was in the house alone late at night. Mm-hmm. No, again? thank you. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, That's just me. I don't like, like that one. That one's that one sounds that one seems so deliberate. <laughs> like that one seems aggressive. And then I hear that and I'm just like
0: these pieces of history. Are they all right?
1: <laughs> uh, people will also hear like footsteps all about the house when they're alone. And they'll feel like they're being watched like someone's looking over their shoulder. Mm hmm. It sounds like a lot of these aren't, like, from the way they tell it, they don't seem like super malicious or anything. They're just kind of there. It just mm-hmm. kind of happens, and they just share the space, which is kind of sweet, you know? Yeah. Different perceptions of.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I guess people talk about this Giles fellow showing up, but then also talking about, like, a child. Or, no, no, Giles isn't from a different building. It's a child that shows up here, right?
1: So... Yeah, there's children in this house, but, you know, a okay. lot of children die in this house. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been there through more than just the Salem Witch Trial. So, who knows what else yeah, it was happened there? Inhabited
0: in it. The family kept inhabiting
1: it afterwards, Yeah, so. the family was in it for a long time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's there, and you can take a tour. It, um, I, I do really appreciate their take on it, where they're just very dedicated to the history, and they don't want it over-dramatized. From my understanding of it, they don't want to compromise the history and the truth with scary sensationalized ghost stories.
0: Yeah, and I haven't been to Salem, but from how I understand it, if you want sensationalism, it abounds there, so...
1: Yeah, and like, there's... You probably have
0: plenty of other places to go to find your sensationalism if you want it.
1: Yeah. But I do think it's it's really interesting how the stories changed and got scarier where they're like oh he was torturing you know the witches in his basement Mm -hmm. um which can you imagine what in the world that just makes me think of
0: uh the, the haunting on long island that they made the
1: the haunting on long island yeah that
0: house that was haunted on long island that they made the movie about and like there was the claim that there was someone torturing people in the basement there
1: what are you talking about I don't know this.
0: No, you do. As soon as... It's it's the one that was really famous. And there was the person who killed their family there. And then the other family moved in afterward. Are you
1: talking about Amityville Horror? That house. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Ooh, okay.
0: (laughs) That was very roundabout because I couldn't remember the name. But yep, 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 that one. Isn't... Amityville... oh in the movie isn't there like a claim that it was like that people were getting tortured in the basement there
1: there's something wild in the more recent movie that i think is ryan reynolds
0: yeah 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 about some
1: yeah he like tunnels through the wall at some point because there's something down there
0: yeah and like like supposedly the first person who lived on that plot of land was like torturing people underground in it or
1: something in the basement i don't Remember that part of the movie? Um, I'm familiar enough with that story to know that that didn't happen. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, that didn't happen there. But I think at a certain part of that movie, I just tuned out because <laughs> I was like, N- none of this makes sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I have a
1: lot. I have a lot of feelings about that movie as well as Amityville Ami- Ami- Horror.
0: Mm. Yeah. Which
1: I guess one day we'll have to do, because... (sighs) That is the Salem Witch House, with a a abridged history of the Salem Witch Trials, and a brief interjection about amy-evil horror, apparently. (laughs) My bad. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I would like to conclude with, so when are we going to Salem.
0: I'd like to go in the fall, but also that sounds like it would be Cuckoo Crazy Bananas Yeah, it sounds
1: super crowded.
0: Yeah. Also, I would like to go to New England one fall, just in general. Like, we don't have to hang out, like, go there, but then, you know, go up.
1: Yeah, I've never been to that part of the country, so I would love to see it. No,
0: me neither. I've never, yeah, I've never been past New York.
1: I have been to Maine.
0: Very briefly, but it it was stressful, so it doesn't count. Was Maine insane? Um, you don't have to answer that question. That was just an excuse for me to make a
1: bad rhyme. Um, it was insane, but it wasn't Maine's fault. <laughs> I don't blame Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot
0: of times in recent episodes, we kind of do like a, a recap or kind of like a kind of end with like a thematic statement. But this episode has uh, it's been quite dense and. I think the points to be made kind of already, yeah, have been made.
1: Yeah, I and and last episode I definitely got very excited with my, uh, with my closing arguments.
0: I mean, it's it's a podcast. It's about us speaking. So if you have things to say, you might as well say them. I mean, I could say something about how that you know history really is just us spinning narratives out of events to try to get a point across, try to get a theme across, and I could say things about how witch trials are presented as protecting children's lives when usually they're about protecting.
1: I think there's been a lot to this, and I don't think we have to lead you, dear listener, to any points.
0: Yeah, the information's there.
1: I have a lot of feelings, and I'm having a hard time processing a lot of this. (laughs) I was losing my mind researching this the other day. Yeah,
0: it's been a while since we've had a very dense episode. We had yeah, we a lot tried to keep the, it light. Yeah, early on we had a lot. And unfortunately, it's just not really a way that's respectful to yeah. present the information in a lighthearted way. Unless you're there to mock the people who are causing the problems. The people who are in power in these situations. Yeah,
1: I mean, ultimately, they're incredibly sad. Like, all of it's incredibly sad. It's the only takeaway. It just leaves you feeling a little a little hollow and icky. Mm-hmm. And I know that everyone white wants to... There's something, like, exciting and titillating about witch trials of, and, like, witchy history. But ultimately, that's it's not about, like, witches or magic or anything fun. It's about the atrocities that we commit about one another. Yeah. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to lead you to a point, and then I did it anyways, <laughs> didn't I? Do we have a theme for next episode? Um, I believe, according to the schedule, we're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. Ooh. Or I am talking about the Bermuda Triangle. What are am you I doing? talking about the Bermuda Triangle?
0: I don't know. I got to check the schedule, I guess. Um, are talking about? I'm talking about aliens? Am I talking about.
1: You're talking about Easter Island?
0: Ooh, Easter Island's a heavy one.
1: Is it heavy? I'm excited about Easter Island. Is it sad? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean... Why is all of history so sad?
0: Let's see how it goes. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll let you know. Yeah.
1: You looking forward to anything this week? March is coming up. Uh
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. You and I are about to be at our 10-year of a... Well, started dating 10 years ago at the start of March.
1: So it's our official 10-year anniversary. We started the podcast... The 10 years after the day that we met and now in a couple days, it is 10 years to the day that we started dating.
0: Yes. We haven't got our YouTube page properly set, but we think we have a name for it. We need to double check that that name is available, which knock on wood, I believe it
1: is. It only took 14 episodes in nearly six months. Uh
0: Uh-huh. So we'll list that next episode.
1: That'll be fun. Yeah.
0: You want to lead us out? You do the Twitter, Facebook thing so good.
1: Mm, you could learn to do it, too. I know I could, but... <laughs> In the meantime, don't forget to email us any thoughts, feelings, feedbacks, pictures of pets.
0: Mm-hmm. Pronunciation corrections.
1: Uh, story suggestions, theme suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um... Your own ghost story? Mm-hmm. What you found in your backyard with a metal detector?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Email us at spookystorypodcast at gmail.com. That is all one word, spooky with an I.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And follow us on Instagram, spookystorypodcast. Facebook, spookystorypodcast. TikTok, spookystorypodcast. That is spooky with an I. not Twitter? Oh, yeah. Twitter's a thing. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been using the Twitter because it's too much to keep up with all of them. And let's be honest, I don't understand Twitter. <laughs> I didn't jump on that bandwagon like 15 years ago, and now it's too late for me. Instead, I learned TikTok.
0: I think it's a place where people bicker. Is it? Okay. From how I... Yeah, isn't it a place where people bicker? I don't hear
1: about anything like good happening ever on Twitter. It sounds, it sounds a little scary sometimes.
0: It doesn't... I never hear stories of... Kindness and generosity of spirit coming from Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: true. I don't know. Everything on Twitter, I everything I hear about Twitter, me from a Twitter novice outsider mm-hmm. is like, there was this fight and this person got bullied off the platform or this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, oh, that's scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on there. But
0: I don't know what you get from being on it either.
1: I don't know what you get from being on anything, really, except follow us, because you'll get fun stuff from us.
0: That's right. Follow us before I take that train of thought into the deep, dark abyss of nihilism. Oh, no. <laughs> and um. until next time, <laughs> I'm Peter.
1: <laughs> this is Rena, And this is Spooky Story Podcast. <laughs>
0: And we hope this message finds you full of blood.
1: (laughs) No, that can't be our official sign-off. I said it once as a joke. (laughs) Oh, no. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Why? Chicken pie. All right. So mad at you. What? I don't want to tell you anymore. Oh come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got recognized today.
0: Oh. do you get an award? No, not like like that. Oh okay. Uh, (laughs) So not for your years of service. (laughs) no dedication okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh someone that i worked with on uh on a set several like at least three or four years ago now uh messaged me to say that they had come to town to see a short film that they worked on Mm -hmm. at a screening and they had other films playing as well Mm -hmm. and apparently a short film that i am in played okay and so they were like wait a minute i know that girl (laughs) and messaged me and was like it's i saw you i saw you in the movie theater so that's pretty cool yeah yeah it was like uh it was a small part i was like a very rude bartender in a sci-fi movie where i was uh throwing out some resistance fighter from an alien race that i guess the powers that be didn't like so i was very mean Mm. he told me that um He really, really hated my character, so I did a good job, so that's a win.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Villains are more fun.
1: I felt bad, though. I felt so, like, I felt guilty being mean to her, because she was really sweet, and in between takes, I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, random train. I won't be able to cut that out. Then tonight, I had an audition for a true crime reenactment show, so stuff is happening. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit of stuff is happening. Yeah. So Yeah. Hopefully that means good things for mm-hmm. the future of of me.
0: Mm-hmm.